Kelsey Steele some time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. Hello and welcome to Steal Some Time. Your hosts, Kelsey Steele and Scott Stewart, here on another glorious Tuesday, joined by our one and only Matt Calvo, pulling the strings behind the scenes. Scott, Matt, welcome to Conference Finals Week. Wow, long time coming, literally. It's been almost 365 days since we um, since we went around the, the last Conference Finals, but couldn't be more excited for the matchups we have. I think four well-deserved slots and four teams that are absolutely going to um, to put on a show on Saturday night. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Coming off of a huge weekend as well, and, and obviously we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but conference finals this weekend, they're going to be a heck of a show. Um, and I think after all of this wait, it's it's going to be worth it. You talk about waiting that entire year and everything in the 2020 season, I think. When it comes to, to Saturday night, we're gonna be uh, primed for some some good some good TV. Elsewhere, Scott, before we fully get into uh, the conference semifinals, I have a an age old debate I I wanted to throw into your circle and see what you thought. So. It's the time of the year where the same debate comes up the same time every single year. And it's unfortunate that we're virtual right now and we're not in the office because I know for a fact this would have already been a conversation. My question is, is candy corn actually worth it? Absolutely not. No, I won't even let you continue the question. I don't want to hear anything about this. I posted something on my Instagram story yesterday. Um, pretty much just like alluding to the fact of you should just eat a peanut butter cup instead. And a lot of people came at me, good and bad, but um, obviously one of those debates and questions I think that people will never be able to see eye to eye on. And I think last year, even Pennsylvania, who created the candy corn, apologized for creating such a disaster of a candy. So I just thought with it being autumn and fall, I needed to get your candy corn take. Yeah, not a candy corn guy. And I'm, I'm glad that we are virtual because you know how animated I can get in a public setting and I don't really need to, I don't really need to waste my energy on candy corn right now. We got a, we got a few things going, but you're right. And, and unfortunate, we will have enough over the next month that will divide us as a country. We don't need candy corn to be added into the mix right now. So I'm going to put my stamp on this one and, um, yeah, if you give me candy corn, it's either going to end up at some sort of like somebody else's house or in my waste bin, one of the two. I just think it's so unnecessary and a really unfortunate um, candy. Like nobody actually wants to eat that. And I, if you guys are candy, candy corn people, please, um, I would I would really like to know your positioning. Give me a good sell because I, I cannot for the life of me understand why people think this is actually delicious. Based you can eat a candle. Yeah, no. Eat a candle, it'll have the same effect. Yeah, golly, it will though. That's actually a good point from a from a texture standpoint. That's a great point. That's kind of a disgusting thought, but that's um that's a great point. No, we just have so many options in 2020. Don't limit yourself to candy corn. We're all better than that. I love that line so much, Scott. So it's funny when I was going through this this website that was talking about candy corn, and they were talking about. Um, different like points of conversation and stuff this week I saw a question that I was like oh this is too perfect I have to get Scott's two cents on this so the hypothetical scenario is if a local tv station offered to let you host your very own show once a week that obviously didn't coincide with you know didn't conflict with uh steal some time in any way shape or form um what would the show be about and who else would start on the show with you wow i love this question i do too that's a great question so yeah i would i would accept because i'm a talker so it would be like it'd be natural um i definitely don't always say the right thing so i'd make sure to bring on some like well-esteemed guests who like knew how to fill the conversation appropriately and um were much much smarter than me i think it would probably be some sort of like in an ideal world, it would be like a like a Fallon, but like a little bit more serious, like a little bit less a little bit less games, and a little bit more like 
I'm a deep analytical type conversation guy. So I'd probably just get somebody on who like wants to share their worldview and like what they're happy about. Maybe, maybe a show that's like highlighting nonprofits around the area, just talking about like some of the good work they want to do for the community. But then at the end we would play like tic-tac-toe or something. So people knew that I wasn't just here to like only talk about brains and why we function the way we do. This just further proves how much better of a person you are because mine is a lot less, uh, <laughs> In depth. Matt knows exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> if, you if, talk about this. We talk about it all the time because I do. My like absolute dream job is to host my own food show and be able to try, like be like a judge, a, a food judge in essence, and just try food all day long and make a living out of it. So, no, you're just smarter than me. Once again, <laughs> I'm just like out here, out here just talking to people on a deep level. You're getting free food. We are not the same, and that is a good for you. I do think that if I could have somebody come on with me, though, I think it might be somebody like Dak Shepard, mm. um, who already has a pretty um, high following. He's famous for one, but his podcast is awesome, and he can he's proven that he can really go from like a to a high to a low, and I think he could bring an added level of comedy and seriousness into the show. Um, and I think we'd have some really good dialogue, Dax and I. So. That's and I think I'm too selfish for a co-host. I think I probably just need guests, you know? I'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Are you too selfish for a co-host? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Well, in a, in a talk show setting, like, I think it'd be cool to have a number two. I just don't know. Again, it would have to be the right number two, you know? They would just be like, ah, yeah, I don't want to get into it, actually. I'm irreplaceable. It's fine. So, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and reverse everything that I just said. None of that needs to go out. But, yeah, um, if I could be a guest on your food show just one time, that'd be kind of cool, though. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll pin it in. I'll see. Or, like, King of the Coop or something so I can get some hot chicken. Love that. Into no that. Let's keep the positive vibes rolling because we're, I feel like we're really seeing eye to eye uh, this week, Scott. So the biggest reality show of the year is back in October. And no, I'm not talking about the Bachelorette people. It's Fat Bear Week. And I know we're a little late uh, to, to this week. It happened at the beginning of October, um, but it was too good not to circulate on the pod. So bears in Alaska's Katmai National Park and Preserve get ready for winter hibernation. And obviously, while you're doing that, you gain a ton of weight, as, as bears do when they're ready to hibernate. So every year, the National Park sets up a bracket and online voting, and people can vote on their favorite bears from September 30th to August 6th, based on which bear they think will be the largest by the, <laughs> by the end of the week. It's I'm talking a full-on full on bracket Scott um so it's like they even go one step further they've got broadcasts going on during this period from the national park they've got webcams all over the park where you can watch the bear that you know you've chosen um and so yeah you can submit your votes online and each day they've got different matchups presented alongside with some really cool fun facts about the bears including before and after photos which is what everybody really wants really wants to see um i'm talking about some of these matchups are pushing over seventy-five thousand votes scott like people are all in on uh bears. on that fair week um so i'm really uh, you know bummed that we missed this but um i thought that it was such a a fun activity in contest going um when you know people just kind of need something to get behind and i think fat bear week is that like what more can you celebrate for you know these these bears just just packing it on and, and ready to go sleep for for a few months yeah i want to know how i can get in on that bracket <laughs> <laughs> i don't think my favorite would be the fattest bear it would be the bear who gained the most weight you know i want a bear who takes his hibernation seriously so hit me with that link I'm following now. I'm gonna sh like these pictures, Scott, are unbelievable in a matter of like a week or two. How much a bear can put on? They're talking about some of these bears putting on over a thousand pounds. It's it's extraordinary. Um, so fat bear week. Sorry we missed you this year. We will be setting our calendar reminders for next year because Scott and Matt and I are all on board this train. 
Got to get, got to get our votes in first off, but also I'm going to print out a photo of my bear and like tape it to my wall or something like that. Just so I like get a reminder reminder of my people, you know what I mean? Get a reminder of my guy out there or my girl out there who's just like really, really putting on the pounds in the name of my vote. I love that. For the greater cause, hibernation, we're with you. For the greater cause. to my final, Scott Stu. Let's get into it. What a weekend of action we had in the USL Championship. Two shootouts in the Western Conference semifinals. First and foremost, I want to talk about New Mexico United, a whirlwind of a game. Romeo Park steps up there and with about just over a minute left in stoppage time and sends this one into extra time. I mean, that goal and that scenario as a whole is what you love about the playoffs. It looks like that one was done and dusted. El, you know, El Paso was walking away with that one. And then all of a sudden, Romeo Park steps up and says, not so fast, and pushes that one into extra time. And then obviously moves into a shootout. Um, overall takeaways from, from that one, Scott, I personally thought that um, we saw a, a really good New Mexico side. Yeah, I was infuriated um, when Park scored, just to be completely honest. Because, like, I'm sitting on my girlfriend's couch, and I was like, something's coming. Like, you can just tell. Like, there's something about the end of a game's momentum where you can really tell, like, there's going to be a wrecking ball that crashes through the wall. And what a goal, Romeo Parks. Like, what an incredible way to extend your season. And so, like, I certainly don't take anything away from him, nor do I take anything away from New Mexico in the slightest because I thought like you I thought they played an incredible game Um, was honestly kind of expecting them to prevail in the penalty shootout just based on the fact that you know typically when you get the late game momentum like that you're going to favor yourself to to carry over if it does reach a penalty shootout Um, thought El Paso was disciplined thought that they were relatively effective should have scored more than a goal for sure um but that worries me a lot. That worries me a lot that you can tell that El Paso left the door open that late, right? And that, that makes me think that when they head into the Western Conference Final, if that door stays open, New Mexico may be equalizing where Phoenix may be winning the game that late. So for them, I think it's going to have to be a case of um, every single screw in your door needs to be tightened because there's just no room for anything other than near perfection in a one-off game of 90 minutes and it almost cost them on Saturday. I think it will cost them this coming Saturday if they don't um, listen, it's 90 minutes for a reason, right? It's not 89. It's not 88. You got to play all the way through. And um, yeah, sad to see New Mexico's season end that way because they had a heck of a run. Troy Lucene and what he accomplished there this year, especially with every game on the road. Um, they deserve every plot that they get in the off season. It was a heck of a story, and I think one that everyone selfishly wanted to see continue for that reason. Uh, but it's that that club is not done. I'm looking forward to what they bring in 2021. But I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up about um, about El Paso because that's exactly what Reno did. They left the door open for Phoenix, and whereas they could have easily shut that, had a two two nil lead right before the break, um, and of course Phoenix ends up pushing things extra time and then converting on a, on a penalty shootout and advancing into the, the conference finals. That's a team. I think that has proven time and time again, that you, you can't leave late opportunities for like they're I think they're one of the biggest, probably the biggest team in the league when it comes to never say die, they are going to find a way to get the job done late in the game. So if, if you're on the other side of that, you have to find a way to really limit Phoenix's chances. Yeah, 100%. And Reno had a chance to make it three in the first half, and they could have put it away. At that point, if Phoenix goes down three in the first half, I agree they are probably the most never-say-die team, but I don't think they mount a comeback that large, right? But um, it might have been Partita. I don't remember exactly who it was, but they dragged their shot wide, and I said, Phoenix, like, again, you leave a door open, and they're going to take it. And Asante's brilliant right? Solomon Asante is just brilliant. He's an incredible player. Um, we were, we were laughing on Saturday night about just his stature because it's just like you, you look at him and you're like, wow, like that guy is the best player on the field. Like he's, he's short, but he's so quick and he's so crafty and he sees the field so well. Like it is, um, 
I don't know that there are many attributes that don't exist in Solomon Asante's game. So watching him help them reach that comeback was huge. Um, obviously, Lambert getting the goal to, to kick things off, but but I think Asante was like the the real kicker in the side. And then Dadashov steps up for that fifth penalty. I mean, I would have bet every penny in my bank account that he was going to make that and send Phoenix through. It's just there is also an inevitability about Phoenix sometimes. And could be proven wrong when it comes to like the big, big stage, because I've been proven wrong before for sure by that. But um, Saturday felt inevitable on Phoenix's side. And, and I feel for Reno, who, again, I could say the same thing about Ian Russell that I just did about Troy Lacine. What an incredible season. Um, coming up short, obviously a huge disappointment. But I think the way that Phoenix operated on Saturday night, they, they will um, – they won't want to operate that way necessarily this Saturday night. But they'll be comfortable knowing that they have what it takes to overcome just about any challenge. Quick food for thought, because when I was watching the Sioux Western Conference semifinal matches and they go down to the typically shootouts, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what's the, what's the top five lineup going to look like? You know, what's what's the order going to be here? Um, how, how, do, how do we choose who's going to go win? Um, and I thought it was so interesting that we didn't even see Salma Sante in the top five for Phoenix. And you're talking about a, a, a former MVP, somebody who is consistently there when it comes to scoring goals. He's always at the top of the mark. And I just, I, I, I thought that was so interesting. And I think it was uh, on the same side of things. It might've been El Paso. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but had majority of defenders taking those, those first few uh, penalty kicks. And I'm, nerding out a little bit because I think there's so much science behind this and it's really interesting to decide, okay, you're in that scenario. How, why are you not having your former MVP taking a penalty kick? Is that him? Is that a him decision or is that a you decision? I, I just think that is so interesting. Yeah, no, that's a great shout too. Cause I don't think that's something that, that people consider very much. And maybe it was a case of Phoenix feeling like Reno knew more about Asante than they did everybody else taking a penalty. And so maybe there was an era of mystery that came around it a little bit or, um, or not allowing them any sort of like analytical advantage. But um, I also completely feel that it's warranted to give your number nine, your main guy, the fifth penalty. And I, I would have also expected Asante to be in there. Somebody tells me he would have been six if he was needed in that shootout for sure. But um, yeah, I was just happy that no one missed their spot kick, right? Every, the two that were missed were saved, and that made me feel a little bit better because I was worried that someone was going to sky it and someone was going to be the villain, and I don't think I could live with watching the, someone's season go down the, the drain like that. So it was, um, yeah, two great games, two incredible shootouts. Please don't do that again on Saturday night. I was literally sweating, heavy breathing. <laughs> Asked for an inhaler, didn't get an inhaler, nearly had an asthma attack, and then Phoenix won. So, heck of a delivery on the Western Conference semifinals. Both go to penalty shootouts. Phoenix and El Paso advance, and they'll meet this Saturday. Over on the Eastern Conference side of things, though, Scott, I, I believe now you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe you had Charleston over Tampa Bay. Is, is that correct? I did. I did. You indeed. did. Um, how, how did that work out for you? Not as well as I had thought originally that it would work out. I, I did. Who, who did I have in that uh, one? I think you might have taken the Rowdies. I, today. I, think I, I think I did. I think I did. That's interesting. You might have taken the Rowdies. You might have taken the Rowdies. I, I can't speak because I'm not you, but, like, I know that I know that there was some talk about, like, green and gold versus black and gold, and I took mm -hmm. black and gold, and you took green and gold. So, you know. Someone Tampa has to roll at the end of the day. <laughs> I'll leave you alone. Tampa Bay comes away with the 1 0 win. Uh, Lucky Imposana uh, delivers a, a beautiful finish um, to, to send uh, Tampa Bay into the Eastern Conference final. What's your major takeaway from, from that one? I think that um, there was a lot of pressure uh, on Tampa Bay for obvious reasons, with it being Charleston and, and the record against Charleston this year. Um, how, how overall, how do you feel about Tampa Bay? The better team won is what yeah. I'll say. Um, I thought Tampa Bay was incredibly consistent. And if I'm the battery, I'm really not upset about what we brought to the game that night. I think the Rowdies were just better, and that's how playoff soccer works. Uh, 
But, yeah, I think the Rowdies could have scored a bit more, um, and I think they will when they go up to Louisville. But I think that it's um, – yeah, I had no qualms with being wrong on that one because I thought the Rowdies put in a, a very, like, start to finish, a very consistent, very solid performance. So, deserved to be in the conference final for sure. Um, I thought Neil Collins's words ahead of the game, we don't care who we're playing, we're going to win this game, were very emphatic. I'm interested to see if he pulls a similar line going into Louisville this weekend because um, I do think that they care who they play this week. It's a lot of confidence uh, out of your head guy in charge. Don't blame him, honestly. I mean, Neil knows his team. I, I think if you ask Neil Collins today who the best team in the East was, he would probably say us. And I don't think that he would be that far off the mark, even though statistically they weren't the best team and they had their ups and downs. But that is, again, just kind of life sometimes. And I feel like I am ready to see one of these two teams because I do believe that we are seeing the two best teams in the East on Saturday night. I'm, I'm ready to see one of them put the crown on and wear it deservedly. Speaking of, Louisville advances past St. Louis FC this past weekend, 2-0 victory for them. Um, a, a heartbreaker, I think, for, for a lot of people that were pulling for a really great story in St. Louis FC. And, um, you know, I, I put myself on the line there. I was ready to have Tyler Blackwood on the, the show this week and, you know, give me my two cents. Fortunately, it didn't pan out for, for him and his teammates, um, but – I think that you can say that this club left everything out on the field. And um, it was an incredible run for, for a side that was constantly um, asking to be put in that conversation. And I think now um, we can say that they definitely should have been. I mean, they were so, so good on Saturday night. They were incredible. Frustrating. Some of their passing sequences absolutely blew me out of the water. The way that they moved – because they're playing out of the backside sometimes, not all the time, but they did it so effectively against a Louisville side that so effectively presses when they need to. I mean, at one point I saw Paolo Del Piccolo rushing Morton, and I was like, wow, you've got your, your captain, who's normally a holding midfielder, all the way up the field, like pressing on the goalkeeper. And St. Louis still found a way to get through, and that's without Lewis Hilton who was arguably one of their best passers last season. And I just thought when Walfall missed the penalty, I thought we're in for a different storyline than, than I wanted tonight. But um, yeah, I don't think St. Louis can be too dismayed either. I mean, I think again, at the end of the night, better team won and, and St. Louis can accept that. But um, I do think that it is kind of poetic that Louisville's first game against anyone ever was a 2-0 win against St. Louis and St. Louis's last game ever was a 2-0 loss to Louisville. So it's um, not necessarily poetic justice, but it is, um, it is something. And, and I'll just say, man alive, we're going to miss St. Louis FC so much. What an incredible club. What an incredible staff. Um, top class professionals on the field and off it. And it was, um, it's sad to see Cinderella get out of the pumpkin a little bit early. I can't, I can't echo that anymore, and I can't follow that any better. So let's get into some buy or sell here, Scott. Yeah. First one of the day. I, in my opinion, the goalkeepers have really stolen the show this postseason. We've seen a, a few truly rise to the occasion, especially in our shootout scenarios. But in the conference in my finals this past weekend, Logan Ketterer, Ben Lute, Cody Mazel really shined. Yeah. My question for you, Scott, are you going to buy or sell that Ben Lute has been the standout player, not just goalkeeper, but all-around standout player of the playoffs. Mm. We're talking about a guy that had a 10-game or 10-save game this past weekend. Yeah, he was insane. And, I mean, he is the reason why Louisville is where they are. He, he made – and I'm not even talking the penalty save, right? Like, the way that he commanded the box, the way that he read the game, obviously the saves that he made. But he is just somebody who is really growing into his shoes. And um, I should have said gloves, but – scratch that in post but he is somebody who is like really really coming into his own and he had an incredible game <sighs> best player of the playoffs so far he's got a shout for sure right he's definitely got a shout I think that um there are a couple attackers that I would put in there up up with Ben but given that he was the key against St. Louis I can buy that I feel comfortable buying that that Ben deserves the pat on the back that I think he may not have been waiting for because I don't think he's that kind of guy who's sitting there saying, like, where are my accolades and where's my applause? But 
Um, yeah, deserved or undeserved publicly or privately, I think that I'll buy that one. He was incredible on Saturday. I just think it's worth having him in that conversation at least. I think time and time again when you talk about standout players or, you know, all-around players, it's almost always an attacker. Always. Yeah. It's just the name of the game. And um, unfortunately for a lot of goalkeepers, they kind of fly under the radar. And I think one thing you can definitely say from this postseason is that these goalkeepers have not flown under the radar. And Ben Lute has really made a name for himself. 100%. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that one. And if he ends up doing it again this weekend, then I'm definitely buying that one. Not selling okay. it the rest of the year. Love that. Second one of the day, Scott. El Paso continues to do some credible things in 2020. Now advancing for the second week in a row on a PK shootout. And now Mark Lowry has his club in the Western Conference Final for the second year in a row. Keep in mind this club has only been around two years at that. With that in mind, if you had a vote, would you buy or sell Mark Lowry as the coach of the year? Or at least, I will give you this in your top three. Uh, man, I love Mark so much. I need to start with that. I really, really love Mark Lowry. And watching him on Saturday after their game, I, I turned and I just said, what an incredible man manager. Yep. What an incredible man manager Mark Lowry is. Like, they won. He celebrated accordingly. He went and found Troy. He made sure they exchanged their pleasantries. And then he just went jumping into his players' arms, grabbing people by the face, like, really having, like, deep, deep moments. And I feel like his players need that. And that's a, that's a rare – that's a rare quality in a, in a modern day coach to be somebody who is like that outwardly supportive of them. So I don't know. It's really tough, right? Like I look at, I look at John Hackworth, Ian Russell and Troy Lacine immediately and say, how do I fit Mark Lowry into that trio? Um, but if we're including everything that happens in the playoffs, if you give me until Saturday night for my answer, then I will, I, I'm willing to buy that Mark deserves a place in that. If he takes this El Paso team to a, to a championship final, yeah, I'll be willing to add him in there. We've talked a lot about Mark Lowry. So why not have Mark Lowry on steal some time? We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to be joined by the man himself taking his club to a second straight Western Conference final. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find a coach in this league that displays the level of passion that, that Mark has. We're amped to have him on. So stick around. We return to Mark Lowry. will join us. Hey guys, this is Mark Lowry with El Paso Locomotive FC and you are listening to Steal Some Time. El Paso Locomotive FC head coach Mark Lowry joins me now. Coach, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Before we get into the playoffs here, I know that's what everyone's wanting to hear. I, I want to take a step back first and kind of reflect on what you've built here in El Paso. Because for me, I think when I think of Mark Lowry, one of the first things that comes to mind is passion. You're unlike any other coach in this league, and you, it feels like your players have truly bought into that. So when you kind of transitioned into that coaching role, you know, obviously – all you knew was a play, being a player at that point. So when you transitioned into, into that coaching role, what did you know that you wanted to bring to the table as a coach? You know, I, I think that's a good question. I think when I looked at kind of mentors or current coaches in the game and my favorites, I tended to favor those guys that are on the side of the field and they're showing that energy and that passion. And, you know, you look at Klopp, right? And you look at, Pep Guardiola or even Diego Simone is a big favorite of mine, that the, what they show on the side of the field is generally reflected on the field by their teams. Their teams play with a lot of intensity, a lot of passion, and they tend to be successful. So I feel like even though during the game, there's only so much a coach can really do to, to kind of affect it from that point on, most of our work is obviously Monday to Friday. I think you need to be there with the guys during the game. You need to be present with them in that moment and go through those emotions with them. And, and so they know at least they have a guy on the side of the field or a coach on the side of the field that's there with them, right? Mm -hmm. so I, that passion has always been something that I felt a coach or good coaches needed. Um, 
And frankly, I'd find it hard to sit there during the game and not do anything, right? You're sitting on the bench and kind of like with your arms folded. It's like, man, there's too much, there's too much at stake here, right? There's too much going on on the field to, to kind of just be a spectator. So, yeah, I, I think that's reflected in, in me because of just, guy, just coach that I admire in the game. And we get the same intensity Monday to Friday from me and the staff. It's like as soon as training starts, we're on it. We're loud, we're vocal, we're demanding. And, and the guys have really, the players have really responded to that. Um, and we found some success. So I don't intend to change anytime soon. I mean, you're also one of the youngest coaches that we have in the league as well. So I feel like that also gives you a, a level to connect with a lot of your players that you might not have in other parts of the country in certain teams. Yeah, great point. And when I first started at Jacksonville, what, four or five years ago now, that was kind of something that was brought up like, but he's so young. But it was never something that was spoke about with the players. The players don't see age. The players don't see... The players just see knowledge. The players see what can you do to help me become a better player. Um, and I think from day one, they felt that with me. They felt that I was there with them. Um, I was a coach and a friend, which I think is important for the modern day player. The days have gone of coaches being a dictator now. Um, I think you have to have a real connection on a human level with the players. And that makes it easy for me because, you know, some of them are the same age, right? You've got Richie Ryan, Numa, who are 34, 35. And even the younger ones, I still know what they're going through because I've either just recently gone through it myself, whether it's with, you know, relationships or on-field stuff or off-field stuff. Um, and so I can, I can help them through those things because, like I said, at 35 years of age, those things weren't happening too long ago for me. So it's really helped me as a coach. And I think, I think when you look around the league, there are some other young coaches in the league that have been successful. And I think that really plays a part in it, that we can connect with the players on a slightly different level. And like I said, players don't see age. They just see, they see knowledge. They see what, like, what can you do to help me become a player? And once from day one, you set that tone. And from day one, they can see, actually, this guy knows what he's talking about. Then the age thing becomes just a number and you end up having this great relationship. It's obvious that mentality is working for you guys in El Paso. You're back in the Western Conference final yet again. But this time, it was a much different road to get there. I mean, outside of the obvious COVID implications here, how did you approach your season, which was rather a sprint than a marathon this year? Did that affect, you know, how you wanted your guys to look in, look at each game? It did a little bit. Um... Also, when we started back in, you know, January, February preseason, we had no idea what was going to happen. So we built a squad that could get us through 34 games. Our goal was to win the regular season this year. That was our goal. We weren't really looking at playoffs. We were looking at kind of almost replicating what Phoenix did last year. Um, obviously, with the suspension of the new format, that kind of that goal changed a little bit because, you know, the regular season's got a different look, I guess, with the small groups and less games. So... It then became a case of, well, we've got 16 games. So can we find a way to get better in these 16 games that can help us for next season? You know, it was almost like, I don't want to say experimenting, but almost like, okay, the, the, the regular season goal we had is done, right? But that'll be hopefully we'll be back on the table in 2021. So we need to now use this time to figure some things out, to become a better team, to become better connected, to build our culture. And obviously we wanted to win. But initially in the season, the focus wasn't on that. It was on about, you know, we played a slightly different system this year with the diamond. How can we all understand that a little bit better to become better at it? So next year, we get back to our goal of kind of dominating the, the regular season. And then, so as the season started, we, we started off, I would say, I don't want to say slow because I think no one started off great because of the nature of the suspension, right? And the, 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 the small group training, and it was just, it was harder to get going. So we started off where, you know, we won, and I think we lost New Mexico, and then there was a tie in there. But I was happy with the way the guys were kind of going about their work, and we were all getting better at what we do, and trying to get guys minutes and, and, and figuring out some things and understanding the players better. And then we started to kind of go on a little bit of a run. I think after the Phoenix game early in August, we started to go on a good run. We were playing well. And then we started to, you know, you start to then change that outlook, I guess, from 
just get better this year to hang on a minute, right? There's, there's something at stake here and we could potentially do some damage again, right? <laughs> like, so, um, you know, 13 games unbeaten now, we're, we're, we've gone through the playoffs and it's been tough. I mean, man, both games went to penalty kicks. But I think, it, I think having that outlook earlier in the year of just getting better has really helped us because we did focus primarily on development and not, not sort of results early on. But I think now that's really set us up to play well and win kind of later on in the season. And now we're back in the Western Conference Final. That wasn't something that we objectively looked at early on. It wasn't something we put out there as a goal. It was just, let's play well and let's make the most of this year. And I think that kind of attitude has helped us get through kind of the challenges, get better along the way and, and, and find ourselves kind of on another good run again. Gosh, unintentionally kind of finding success in a very weird scenario. It, it, yeah, it was, yes. I don't want to say unintentionally, but it, yes, in a way, because yeah. you know, I, I'm a, I know Phoenix have said this as well, and I believe in the asterisks a little bit. You know, there's, there's, there, when Liverpool won the league, right, and everyone was like, this, you know, it's not the same. It's, it's hard to argue that. It's not the same this year, right? We all know that. The format, everything's different, but there's something to win. So let's, let's approach the season with the right attitude. Let's use it for what it is, but let's try and win along the way because that's always the goal, to win. Um, it's, it's, it's the same goal for everybody. Everybody wants to win. So we've managed to do those things, kind of check those boxes of development, of, of building culture, and also kind of continue to win along the way. You know, year two now, like you said, Western Commons final again. And I think Phoenix put it well, own the Asterix. I would like to go own the Asterix this year. You talk about how these last two games have gone down to the wire. I mean, you, both of them back-to-back shootouts. That quarterfinal game against Tulsa, you went to Twitter after and said, I quote, at the end of 120 minutes, you asked who wants to take a pen and every single player volunteered. You said, who wants to take it first? Every single player volunteered. Absolute mentality monsters, you said. So taking a penalty is without question one of the most high-pressure moments that you can have in this game. But as the coach of this group, what was your reaction in that moment? I just I felt really good and calm. It was like once it went to pens, and we obviously practiced them a little bit, and we've got some good ball strikers on the team. But I just felt there was an energy in the group that – we were not going to lose, you know, because everyone was so, everyone was calm. Everyone was confident in stepping up and just executing. And I think that's, that, that, they're the type of players we've recruited here, right? We recruit a lot of experienced players and we've got better at managing those moments this year. I think we learned a lot last year in the playoffs. I mean, the way we went out to Real Monarchs in the 119th minute, right? The last minute of extra time to concede, it hurt, but we learned so much about just managing pivotal key moments in games and penalty kicks is a key moment right it's it's it talent goes out the window at that point for me talent has nothing to do with winning a penalty shootout it becomes about a mentality and the mentality of our guys in that moment that everyone wanted to step up I was like well I don't see us losing this you know if everybody has that kind of belief um and understanding and, and 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 love and care for one another they're willing to put themselves kind of in the firing line and, and take that responsibility on themselves, then that's just a great place to be. So, and the guys actually have scored every one. And, you know, touch wood if it goes to Penza game this weekend, which it might, right? I mean, who knows at this point? We'll do three in a row, I guess. But if it does, then I, I trust our guys to step up and just execute. You talk about that conference final in 2019. You know what it's like to be in those big moments. You were in that scenario last year. You mentioned with the Real Monarchs. To be so close to a final and just missing that cut, especially in the way that it went down for you guys last year, do you feel like there's a piece of unfinished business for your group? Yes, I did. And I remember leaving that game, kind of walking out the stadium at Monarchs last year, feeling like this hurts, but it can really become a positive for us in terms of that motivation, right? To get back here as soon as possible. And, and, and finish kind of what we, what we, let, what, what we left there, right? You know, the, it, the way it finished, it hurt. And, and we've carried that with us, you know, every day. And it's not, it's not on the surface anymore, right? But it's deep inside, you know, everyone, the guys was here last season. 
Um, so I think that's helped us now. Now we're kind of back in those playoff scenarios where it's win or, win or move on, you know, survive and advance, all that stuff. We've learned a little bit better on how to survive. And it can't always be beautiful. I think the regular season is made for beautiful soccer. I believe the regular season is where you play beautiful soccer, but playoffs is a little different. Playoffs is about finding a way to advance. And I think the guys have done a great job of that over the last two games. And I think it goes back to what happened last year is, is, is why we're able to handle it a little bit better this time around. There's no question here. Your goalkeeper in Logan Ketterer is just a different breed. Whether it's at home when he's doing his stay-at-home challenges on Twitter back, <laughs> back in April, uh, representing El Paso in the USL E-Cup, or his performances here in the postseason, he is a unique character through and through. But he really seemed to shine for this club in big-time moments, specifically in these last three weeks. He's... Logan's an interesting character because Logan's a student. He's very studious. So he does his homework. He takes a lot of pride in kind of breaking down the opposition's penalty kicks, set pieces, the kind of the, the traits of the attacking player. So he, when, when it comes around to punish shootout, I know Logan's done his homework and he's going to have a good chance of saving one or two. Um, and that comes down to the time he spends off the field in front of an iPad or a laptop, going through Instat and watching those things. He goes way back and he, he actually made a comment today, which was funny. You know, he was obviously trying to find about some New Mexico players and the, the, the recent penalties have taken and he couldn't find any on Kalen Ryder. And he said, he somehow came, I think the lead, I think you guys posted something of, a sh- or New Mexico posted something on social media of a shootout that they did or Kalen had in like 2015 where he had one penalty kick. So Logan was like, I watched that. And that's the only penalty kick Kalen's taken. It's like, so I had a feeling it was going to go that way. So Logan actually guessed the right way for Kalen. But it was a great PK. Like, it was unsavable. But like, it just shows, like, where you find those little kind of clues to get an advantage. And the, the clues are out there. They're in everything you look at. And Logan's great at kind of dissecting that and find those things. And, yeah, he does the, the Rocket League or whatever he's doing during the offseason. And, like, yeah, that's... But keep saving pens, Logan. That's all we want. Keep saving pens and we're good. That's an incredible story, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He was quoted this week saying, Phoenix will be no joke, but we can't wait to get it on. As a coach, you have to love that kind of response from one of your leaders. Do you, do you feel like that's the feeling across the board from your guys? That they're just, like, itching for that opportunity? Yeah, I think we're just looking forward to a good game. I mean, they're always good games against Phoenix, right? We haven't beaten them yet either, which I think is added motivation for us. Um, you know, every team's gone through their challenges. So it's the playing field, I don't want to say it levels out more this year, but just the, the extra things that people are dealing with, you know, makes things interesting. And yeah, I mean, the guys are confident and we respect Phoenix massively. Like Phoenix last year were by far the best team in the league by a long way. So we've got massive respect for them, but... The last time we went there, a couple of months ago, we lost 3-1. We played really well. So there's a certain confidence we built that day in going to Phoenix and playing well, right? You don't always get that. You go to Phoenix and sometimes it's, it's, it's a bad day, right? But we went there and we lost, but we felt like we did really well and really kind of showed what we can do against the best team in the league. So I think the guys remember that and they're going to carry that confidence with them, understanding that Finney's going to be tough, man. They've got some weapons. They're, they're still a huge threat. Um, but there's some confidence in the group, obviously, through the unbeaten run we've had. You know, we've arrived at the final game, which is not a coincidence. So we'll take some confidence with us. And Logan, you know, he, he echoed that sentiment after the game. Like, we're ready and it's going to be a battle, but we're looking forward to it. I love that. The confidence speaks volumes from mm-hmm. your guys. And I, I have to put you on, on the spot here. 538 has Phoenix with a 73% chance to take the points this weekend. What do you have to say to that? 73%? I, I'd say it's more 50-50. I think it's a playoff game, man. It's, it's a playoff game. Like, these playoff games are, they're just battles of attrition. And it's, you know, I think you put anybody, I mean, you just look how some of the results have gone so far in all the games. I don't think I've seen it like this before. Last season, I don't remember games going to extra time and penalties like this, but, 
it's not just our games. You had San Antonio, Mexico to extra time, Phoenix, Reno, extra time pens. It's like, man, these games are being decided by just fine margins, right? So 73% sounds a little, a little high for me, but hey, we'll, we'll take that as motivation as well. Anything that, that we can give you guys at this point, Mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> appreciate your time today. I uh, really enjoyed having you on the pod and so much to uh, to take with us here the rest of the week. And I, I can attest for, for everybody here at League Office, we are excited for the show so now. Really. So thank you, Kelsey. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks so much. Hey guys, this is Mark Anthony Kay and you're listening to Steal Some Time. We're back in to steal some time. Mark Lowry, what a guy. And I tell you, Scott, I think you, you touched on it a little bit, but one of the coolest things I think about Mark Lowry as a coach is he has some of these characteristics that you just don't see in, in a modern day coach, especially um, in, in our industry. And I think it's really cool to play for somebody that truly lays it all out there. And I mean, when when you see the the charisma and the and the passion out on on the field with Mark Lowry I mean you you'd feel that all the way through the tv screen and into our living rooms I mean this is someone who is just truly truly passionate about what he does and um, I'm just pumped that he took the time to talk to us and it's hard not to be a fan of his after after that uh that conversation yeah for sure a hundred percent and I I know that doesn't always rub people like the the same way right like seeing a coach that that is that is that out there um I just think it's cool how much he loves his players and he loves his job and he's somebody who really wants to advance in the game in this country and I can guarantee you that if he continues to perform at a, at a very high level then El Paso will not be his last stop in the American soccer game he's got an incredible trajectory got a personal fan so it's um yeah I'm I'm excited to see them and my my partiality will not get in the way on Saturday night obviously rooting for um the best team to get through but it's it's very very easy to be a fan of Mark Lowry that Mark Lowry trains nowhere close to slowing down no not even remotely close more coal in the engine let's go <laughs> All right, let's get into some social moments this week uh, across the USL. Um, obviously, you talk a little bit about St. Louis, but I feel like I just need to bring it up once more. Um, the the social media chatter and um, all of the notes from players and, and fans and, and the SGs and, um, you know, front office, it, it was really touching, I think, to see. Um, there's some really cool notes from Kadeem Ake. Excuse me, Kadeem Dakers, Kyle Morton, Joaquin Rivas, uh, Wallfall, a, a lot of really cool uh, notes that they posted on Twitter, truly just about how much this club has meant to them. And um, I think that it's obvious this is a club that's meant a lot to a lot of people, including you and I. We're all sad to, to see him go, and there's an, an incredible supporter culture there in St. Louis, an incredible group of guys, and um, it's just it's, it's hard-pressed to, to see him go, but um, – just hope everybody up there in St. Louis knows how much we truly appreciated their competitive spirit year in and year out. And, you know, we'll miss the St. Louisans and, and uh, everybody up there in St. Louis. Yeah, it starts with the St. Louisans for sure. And they, they deserve all the best moving forward. Um, what an incredible group of people. You won't find, and I, I do genuinely believe this, you won't find passion anywhere in this country quite like you will in St. Louis to the, to the level of uniqueness that they carry. Um, and that is, that is about as high praise as I think you can give an organization and its set of fans. Um, very interwoven, very connected. And yeah, they will be truly and sorely missed for, I think, many, many years to come. It won't be the same league without St. Louis FC. Super thankful for everything that they brought to, to the league over the last few years, and we'll definitely sad to see him go. Elsewhere across uh, the social media channels this week, give our give a nice shout to Memo Diaz. He popped the question to his uh, girlfriend after their win over New Mexico on Saturday night, and I think are, are we starting to see a little bit of a trend here, Scott? We saw the same thing with Sean Tose a, a few weeks ago, uh, proposing to his girlfriend as well. So uh, Sean, you know, last week Memo, this week. Uh, do you think then that if they didn't advance it after that PK shootout that he would have held off? Maybe. Yeah. I thought you were about to go into a third buy or sell of, do I think someone else will propose this weekend? And oh, I, that as well. I probably would have bought it, honestly, just given yeah. the way that this is gone. But, um, yeah, I mean, he picked the right moment for sure. I, uh, 
Yeah, I think he might have he might have reconsidered it had things not gone their way. Just because, like, wow, dude, interesting moment. Um, yeah, right. at the end of the season, and uh, you're you're popping the question. But regardless, love prevails, and and clearly something was in the air that night for for Mimo. Uh, but yeah, huge congratulations. Obviously, a significant life moment, and that goes well beyond anything you can achieve on the soccer field. So cool to see. Yeah, so the excitement from M.O. Diaz just continues to roll into this weekend because he's going to be playing in a Western Conference final. Uh, interesting one here with, with Phoenix, Scott. We've got El Paso returning for the second straight year. And for those of you who don't remember, last year when they played the Monarchs, they played with 10 men from the 51st minute on. Um, so they, they know what it's like to be up against the wall. Eventually, they did lose in uh, the final minute of extra time, 2-1, to one, thanks to a header from uh, Eric Holt. So my question for you, Scott, is here, we have an El Paso side that has gone to a penalty shootout the last two weeks. They've played a lot of soccer. Do we think they have enough in the tank here to advance to a social championship final? Yeah, I don't know if they can go three straight games of extra time, but um, their longevity is impressive, I'll say that. If I'm El Paso, and I am Mark Lowry, I'm telling my guys, you give everything you possibly have in 90 minutes. And if we need 120, then we see what we can do with those extra 30 minutes. But right now, you kind of need to limit this one a little bit. And it's good that they have a full week rest, right? Like these are professionals. They have recovery methods. They have nutritional plans. Like they'll have it in their legs to go again. It's more the mental side of things, right? Mentally, we just played 120 minutes, two straight weeks. Mentally, we went into a penalty shootout. I don't think they can afford to do that again against Phoenix. And the, the only thing I'll say is both Phoenix and El Paso obviously have experience if it goes the distance. But I don't like seeing games end in penalty shootouts anyway. It feels really unfair to, to the teams who put in, you know, the work of playing 120 minutes. So I think if I'm El Paso, I am going all in, all aboard a 90-minute performance, and then we see what needs to be done if extra time is required. Um, the question is, can they even beat Phoenix in 90 minutes? I'm not sure. So I'm excited to see this weekend. I think it'll be um, it'll be a battle of Phoenix's sort of ebb and flow. We let in a few goals, and then we score a few goals to combat that, and El Paso's consistency. And I don't quite think it's the same as, like, you know, unstoppable object versus a movable force, but I do think that we're going to see – opposing styles and opposing dynamism and dynamics within the game go head to head. And that could either make for something extremely explosive like last year's Western conference final, or it could be something more akin to what we saw out of El Paso, New Mexico, which was still an incredible game. You look at 538, they have Phoenix winning this game by 73%. So it's, it's largely swaying Phoenix's way, which is interesting because when you look at the expert picks last week, Nobody had Phoenix advancing but me. So I, it's, it's interesting. And then when you look at the expert picks this week, I believe everybody has El Paso now, but uh, Mike Watts took Phoenix. So it's, it's interesting, I think, when you look at this, because for me, I made a switch because when I have – El Paso is just different to me this year. Uh, when, when I watch their game on Saturday – there was a different level between that El Paso team and that Phoenix team. I just didn't see, see that same sort of fire in Phoenix that I saw with them in that conference quarterfinal. Yeah. And, that I, and I, what I saw from El Paso after that game, it, even me th- throughout it, there, there's a different level of fire in my opinion. And I think that that is single-handedly going to push El Paso through. Yeah, and there's an installation of belief, I think, in El Paso, right? Like, Phoenix has been here. They've done it. They've got a lot of players who have been there, and they've done it. But I think El Paso, it really is Mark Lowry telling his guys, and they had a lot of returners, um, but they do have a few new players as well. It's about Mark Lowry telling his guys, like, listen, we've made it to this point last year. Let's not drop the ball, and let's go the distance. Like, let's go all the way. Even if we lose in the championship final – Let's make sure that we give ourselves a chance to lose in the championship final first. So I do think there's a little bit of newness in El Paso. And I think that they have a chance to disrupt the system a little bit. I think we, we, you know, we'll see Louisville potentially 
We've seen Phoenix in the in the championship final and in the Western Conference final. Um, we've not yet seen El Paso, and I'm excited for that opportunity for them if they can get through a very, very difficult and talented Phoenix side. El Paso has a chip on their shoulder. They know what that felt like last year, being so close to advancing to that final game. You know that those guys who are returning from that 2019 roster feel that pain, and they're going to take that into Saturday's matchup. Absolutely, 100%. Looking over to their eventual competitors in the Eastern Conference Final, Louisville and Tampa Bay. It's going to be our first show on Saturday night. Louisville advanced the USL Championship Final in 2019 after advancing past Indy. And um, I feel like I don't need to remind many people <laughs> of that game. Um, that one was it was Indy's to lose, and they did just that. Uh, that one also went into extra time as well. So this the uh, numbers from 538, a little bit different for this one. Louisville's at a 62% rate. So it's interesting to me because I would have had them higher than, than Phoenix points in my, in my opinion. Yeah. I honestly, Tampa Bay has to come out aggressive on Saturday. If they let Louisville dictate play, this will be an easy victory for Lucidity. They'll walk all over them. I personally think that it's Louisville's game to lose. Prove me wrong, Tampa Bay. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and so many storylines in this one, right? Like Tampa native John Hackworth, who grew up a Rowdies fan, going against the Rowdies. Lucky M. Kosana facing his former team after leaving the Rowdies um, and then returning to the Rowdies. Um, obviously, you've got the consistency of Louisville, who's been in the championship final more times than I almost have fingers on one hand. Um, and the Rowdies, who we've not seen reach this level in quite some time. So You've been waiting for, for yeah. the Rowdies to do this also. Yeah. And I think that this is going to be, with all respect to the Western Conference game, I think this is going to be the game of the weekend. Like, I do think that this game has potential to really set the stage for the Western Conference final. I don't even know if I'm comfortable making a, a full-on prediction, though, right? Like, if, if the Rowdies stick to their guns, they are going to need, again, everything, every single thing. But I feel like it, you mentioned this last week. Who scores first, I think, takes a huge turn, right? And I think they could do well to upset Louisville and disrupt that atmosphere going up there by getting an early goal. It's more a question of can the Rowdies then do what they did against Charleston and score and hold on. Or if they let Louisville even get one foot in the door, I think that it's going to be a case of you give them a way back in and Louisville's going to take it. So four incredibly talented teams, two in the East that definitely deserve to be in this final. And um, yeah, it could be a case of we see the regulars back in their position in the championship final or we get some fresh blood in there. And either way, it's exciting. And I think if this was a full season, you know, if we had run from, from March to, to end of October, that these most likely would have been the two teams that you and I would have placed in the Eastern Conference final. Yeah. But with those group scenarios in mind, it's different now, right? I think there's a lot of questions around this meeting. When I was looking at these two teams the last few days, yes, I'm, I'm going to take Louisville, but it was a lot harder for me to come to that decision because you're looking at two teams that just had very different levels of group play this season. And you can't argue that, you know, you have a, a club in Louisville that has consistently had to play at a really high level and have had to work for that spot in the group. Not to say that Tampa Bay didn't work for what they earned. They most definitely did, but you're going to really have to, give me some good sales points that Tampa Bay has had to play at the same kind of level that, that Louisville has and face the same level of competition over the last three months. And I think it, it could play a factor on Saturday. Yeah, no, I'm in full agreement, right? Louisville was iron that got sharpened by iron. Tampa Bay was playing more regularly against the likes of Miami FC and Atlanta United too. And there is something to be said about consistency of competition and the difficulty of getting through that. I also feel like Louisville has seen more nuances than anybody, right? Indy was not who they thought they would be. They've played St. Louis, a very difficult team. They got through St. Louis. They had to play ultimately what I consider to be the wild card team of the season, SKC2, who was really, really like shocking in their up and down and the way that they ended up rebounding. And on top of that, I think Louisville just consistently had a tougher road to get here than the Rowdies did. Um, I just think they'll be ready. 
Yeah, and I think Louisville's experience in this. But again, kind of what you said about El Paso, something inside me feels like Neil Collins is going to walk into that locker room right ahead of kickoff and say, this is absolutely ours. This is absolutely ours, but you need to believe it just as much as I believe it right now. And I don't know. That could really do some some damage to the psyche uh, for the home team on Saturday night. So I couldn't be more excited. I I think we'll see Louisville-Phoenix in the championship final again at the end of the day. Um, but, man, would I love to be surprised. Give me a fired-up Neil Collins. The US Health Championship needs that right now. We do need that. And, and Neil and John have an incredible amount of respect for each other. But I will be turning up the sideline mic if I, if I have that opportunity just to hear what that back and forth looks like and sounds like. Two incredible conference finals coming our way this Saturday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern and then 10.30 p.m. Eastern for our West Coast folks. It's going to be a good one, you guys. We've prepped you as much as we can. So before we get out of here today, Matt Calvo, it's your time. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is when you're listening to this uh, podcast. Um, so it's the, at the beginning, it's funny, um, we hadn't discussed the topic, but at the beginning of the show, you were talking about cooking and a cooking show. And um, my, my discussion topic or debate topic for today was going to be along those lines. If you were Shut to, uh, no, oh. seriously, if, if you were to appear on a cooking show to make one dish oh. and, be, and be judged on your one dish, what's your go-to meal that you prepare? Okay. You know, it's, we've had a, this lockdown for several months, a lot more cooking at home, a lot more eating at home. Um, so uh, now that you've had all this time to yeah. craft, hone your, hone your skills as a chef, what's your go-to dish? Love that. I don't love that, but I am. <laughs> answer the question. Well, Scott, you have, you have uh, the option to go first, I believe, right? Yeah, we'll let Kelsey go first just so I can try and sneak in the last word. A classic debate tactic. All right, I'm good. All right, let me, uh, let me get my uh, clock ready here. Uh, yeah, so Kelsey, whenever you're ready, go ahead. All right, my go-to dish is a cream cheese spinach chicken bake. So it's a, a beautiful chicken breast with some cream cheese on top of it, some sauteed spinach, really wilt that down, and then some mozzarella on top. You put that in the oven, you bake it for 25 minutes, and then definitely make sure you broil it because you want that brown little spots on top of the mozzarella cheese. I chop up some sweet potatoes, chop, 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 make them nice little squares, throw some you know brown sugar and cinnamon on top of that, and if you want to get fancy, a little bit of goat cheese, and then of course, to end it with my vegetable, I have some sauteed asparagus. That's good. Similar dishes, so I will say that. All right, Scott, when you're ready. Mine is, yeah, I'm ready. We can go ahead and go. Mine would be like a sweet potato wild rice with chicken pilaf, where I get a little bit of sweet potato, and um, I get some wild rice, and I get some pumpkin seeds in there, and I get some brown rice vinegar, and some sea salt, and some cilantro, and I throw it all in a dish. Um, Cooking the chicken separately, mix it around. Obviously, I'm I'm a big sweet potato guy, and I have a sweet potato cookbook up there that I have to credit this recipe to. Um, but I don't think you can go wrong with a, a nice mix of healthy carbs and, and some good solid protein for a chicken, sweet potato, and wild rice pilaf. Um, Love me some sweet potatoes. Got to. You got to. Now, you went the bake route. I'm, I'm less of the bake route, more of like the, the broil and the cook route and then the combined route. You do all the work. You do all the prep work and then serve the dish, which I don't, I don't think you can go wrong either way, honestly. Well, your sky, yours can be thrown in the oven and, f- and finished as a as a combined it, thing. It could be. It just doesn't. To me, it wouldn't have the same effect for me. All right. Well, I'll tell you my my decision. Uh, they're both very good options. Both lovely dishes. I might have to have you send me the recipes for those uh, after the show. Um, my 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 choice comes down to one thing, um, and, and when it comes to food, I'm a really huge texture fan. And I like combining textures and having some texture to go with, you know, as part of the overall taste and feel and, and, and everything of the meal. And Scott, you have texture levels wow. on yours. The pumpkin seeds are the texture level, and that's an excellent added little touch. So Scott is victorious this week. Wow. Thank you. And I will say Pumpkin that seeds put you over the top. 
this is the perfect time of year for it. This is the right time of year. Get some of your- I'm gonna need that recipe in the sweet potato cookbook. I'll hit you up. I'll send you a photo of it. I literally do. Like it would be pointless of me to bring it over to you right now, but it's sitting on my shelf. It's like, it's been one of my go-tos. I got it for Christmas from my parents a couple years ago when I was having like a huge sweet potato kick. And there are dishes for two, four, eight in there. It is like a hundred and something pages long. Oh my so God. Highly recommend. I'm going to get all over that. All right, Scott. I honestly, like, this is probably, like, the most hurtful loss for me because I'm pretty passionate about that dish. <laughs> I have um, run a lot of people's world with that dish. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. I think when we all get back in the office, you're both going to need to bring those in for me to, full, to rejudge um, based on the actual dishes themselves. Now we're talking. And, yep. and for me just to get some good free food. Now we're talking. I'm in it. I'm in it on that one. Love it. Scott Stu takes the W this week. We'll see who will join him this Saturday. Will it be Phoenix or El Paso or Louisville or Tampa Bay? Everything starts this Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern ESPN+. Plus. Don't miss any of the conference final action. For Scott Stu, Kelsey Steele, Matt Cavill, we'll catch you guys next week. Mm-hmm.